Welcome to It's a Good Life podcast, where it's all about helping entrepreneurs think, feel, and do better. Here's your host, Brian Buffini. Top of the morning to you, Brian Buffini here. Welcome to It's a Good Life. I've been getting a lot of feedback after I've done these interviews where I decided, hey, I was just going to record a couple of episodes of, you know, here's my thoughts following an episode. So I will interview somebody, then I take a little break and I just kind of, you know, marinate on it. And then I write my thoughts down and then I've recorded a short episode of what I got from the interview. And I've had an overwhelming amount of feedback on people really like it. So if this is what you guys want, I'll do more of it. So keep telling me what you want, what you want to hear more of. We're open to all feedback. You know, if it's a pattern, then I take it very much to heart. So we want to give you what you're looking for more of and give you less of what you're looking for less of. And so this is, again, I'm going to talk about the interview I just did with Dr. John Deloney on Own Your Past, Change Your Future. I have mentioned it on the podcast with him. We did two shows with him. I really, really enjoy his input. It's very authentic, very real world, very down to earth. There's an awful lot of books right now circulating around the subjects of anxiety and so on and so forth. And it actually is its own classification now. It's called pop psychology. And to some degree, all kind of personal growth lives around the edges of pop psychology. And I'm a little cautious about that. You know, I have some great relationships with some very profound individuals in my life that don't do pop psychology. They're down into the deepest aspects of it and psychoanalysis and so on and so forth. So I'm always kind of careful about tiptoeing into this area, especially because the human mind and psyche is such an important thing. This dynamic for me was very, very important because for the last 26 years, overseeing a coaching company that is designed to help people change. Change is hard. And by yourself, it's almost impossible. Not, not totally impossible, but there are very few examples of someone who takes some information and then just changes their life forever. There's a lot of examples where someone takes some information and changes their life for a period of time. All permanent lasting change has to start on the inside, work its way to the outside, and that normally takes a series of processes and usually some help. So when John wrote a book says, own your past, change your future, and I mentioned to you, I've just ordered actually with my assistant Jeanette, we just ordered a copy for all of our coaches, because this is a dynamic that we deal with all the time. Someone comes to us in coaching, and look, it's business coaching, I'm here, I want to get there, we're going to help them set goals, we're going to help them with their action steps, we're going to help them with their calendars, we're going to help them with their budgets, we're going to hold them accountable, we're going to give them some insight and some instruction on areas of perhaps marketing and sales and things like that. But at the end of the day, we often reach a point where someone caps out their production. And it's usually because they're hung up on something in their past. And and that was a story I told when I was interviewing John. So I uh, digested what we talked about and what I'm going to take away from that interview. And so here's two of the things. First of all, John talked about that the culture provides two options for handling pain. There's the pathological approach. And then there's the bootstrap mentality. And then he mentioned what I'm calling the third option, which is what are you going to do now? So those are the three things that I got from my interview with Dr. John. Pathological, bootstrap mentality, and what are you going to do now? So the pathological by its very nature, it's involving, caused by, or the nature of a physical or mental disease. So that's an extremely serious claim that someone has a disease. And sometimes, In our culture today, 
diseases are blamed for behaviors. What do I mean by this? He was talking about how experiences that are naturally sad have become pathologized. So somebody who's sad, you're now depressed. Somebody who's upset at a situation or circumstance didn't work out the way you wanted, now suffers from anxiety. Both of those, which also now can be treated chemically. So now we've gone and taken emotions, pathologized them, right? Because now they're a disease. And now with that disease, I can give you medication. And again, I'm not going to rail against the machine here. But understand this, that I'm a for-profit guy who loves entrepreneurs, who wants people to do well. There are also giant corporations that make giant profits based on things becoming pathologized. Coming out of this recent pandemic, you know, we won't know, any of us really won't know to be able to see the, the, the wood for the trees for a number of years. Everything, you know, there was a, a sudden virus, there was sudden reactions, there were sudden lockdowns, then there were government policies, there was conflicting scientific reports. There was things that were categorized as misinformation that later were proved to be true, all of these type of things, and then troll politics and people's perspectives on top of things. And we had a giant mess, a giant mess that's led to a lot of consequences. But I also know there were three companies that made hundreds of billions of dollars during that time. And we know their names. We know their names because an awful lot of us got a shot with their name on it. And they made billions of dollars. So sometimes it is very profitable for people to pathologically create something. So look, there are people listening to this broadcast today who are suffering from depression. There are people listening to this broadcast today who are suffering from anxiety. Their doctor needs to help them, their psychologist needs to help them, and there's medications to help. But John was talking about things that are just normally sad experiences in life that are neither depression nor anxiety. And one of the things he talked about was he keeps a journal of his stories. And I started thinking about that, and we've had a subsequent conversation regarding another opportunity together, and I asked him more about this. He said this is one of the things that really helped him get his head on straight. As a double PhD, two-time PhD, that's two more than I got. He keeps a journal of his stories. And then he said, once the emotion of the circumstances passes, then ask yourself, is this true? Is this a true story? Or is this just how I felt? Now, we all know, human beings, we feel. We feel a certain way. And sometimes our feelings are a true emotion, but not a true reflection of our circumstance. Have your emotions ever let you down? Have you ever flown off the handle or said something you wish you didn't, or you anticipated something, or you were fearful or anxious, or whatever emotion of something that came up, or you thought was about to happen and it didn't really happen? John talked about the story where his six-year-old said, I wish you weren't alive. And he wrote that down. Am I a terrible dad, you know? And the truth of the matter is, no, I'm not a terrible dad. She's six years old. And she got this from somewhere. The second thing he said is sometimes you're just sad, not depressed. And it's okay. And he uses this phrase all the time, just sit in it. Just sit in it. It's okay. It's okay to be sad. Now, you don't want the sadness to turn into moroseness and moroseness to turn into depression. But it's okay to be sad. And then he said something that I wrote down at the time and I want to remind us all of. He said, grief is the gap between what we hope for versus what happened. You know, for whatever reason, you know, this last season of life, a lot of people I know have lost somebody they loved. Some of these folks work for me and 
they're always like, yeah, don't worry, I'll be back to work. And, da, da. and I go, man, you got to take time to grieve. When some great loss happens, first of all, it's unnatural not to grieve. It is human to grieve. It's one of the things that makes us human. You know, animals don't seem to have that. People definitely do. But in our society today, we're not even supposed to take time. You know, I've talked to people who've lost a loved one and they're just driving along the road and it's been 90 days since their loved one passed. And the next thing you know, they're convulsed with tears and they need to pull off the side of the road. And that's okay. That's normal. Take the time. And it's twice as long as you think. Take the time to grieve. Lean into that. It's actually the way to honor the memory of the person. If it doesn't hurt, they didn't mean that much to you. So it's okay to grieve. It's not only okay to grieve, it's extremely healthy. Now, that's the most extreme example I can give you, the loss of a loved one. So when he talks about grief is the gap between what we hope for versus what happened, it's okay when we're disappointed or we have things that hurt or it's okay for us to take a little time and be sad about them. That's okay. That's perfectly okay. The two key questions he had about that was, where did you think you were going to be and what were you hoping for? So these are obviously the questions he puts in his journal. Where did you think you were going to be and what were you hoping for? And then he says the magic phrase, and I got to be honest with you, I've never really thought of it in this terms. He goes, sit in it and grieve. Sit in it and grieve. Just sit in it. What was I hoping for? Where did I think I was going to be? Where did I end up? And I'm kind of sad it didn't work out that way. And that is the way to approach it as opposed to allowing yourself to be suspicious of yourself or even get declared in the pathological sense, you're depressed, you're anxious, you're this, you're that. You might be anxious, but it doesn't mean you have anxiety. You might be depressed, but it doesn't mean you suffer from depression. And that's important. So I thought that was a big deal. The second cultural option, and as he was talking as a Texan, is the bootstrap mentality. And as an athlete and a driver and a busy guy, I would probably say I've leaned heavily on this one, which is get over it and get on with it. Pull up your bootstraps. This is an easy way to go. It's actually very easy. And it's actually rewarded in our culture because it can produce drive and results. So now the emotion that actually is unprocessed goes into drive. And you can actually knock things off your list. You can get things done, have a little more fire in your belly, and you actually get results. Ultimately, though, it leads to burnout. It leads to restlessness and eventually creates a mindset that enough is never enough. So it's a short-term spark, but it's okay. You know, we're going to get to where we want to go is what do you want to do now or where are you going to go now? We don't want to give into the pathology and we don't just want to wallpaper over it. And it's the bootstrap mentality. We've all heard that phrase, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It's actually attributed to a late 1800s physics school book that contained the question, Why can a man not lift himself up by pulling up on his bootstraps? And so when it became a phrase referring to socioeconomic advancement, it was meant to be sarcastic or suggest it was actually an impossible accomplishment. Eventually, however, the phrase's meaning evolved, and now we tell people to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. It's simply implying that socioeconomic advancement is something that everyone should be able to do, albeit sometimes it's difficult. So it's ironic that the very phrase, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, doesn't actually mean what it's come to mean. My wife is an Olympic athlete, and boy, she just on to the next thing. Like, let's just go. Let's just deal with it. Let's get over it. And she just has it in spades. And I kind of do too. But sometimes together, we've kind of missed things. 
because, okay, you know what? This didn't work out. Let's go have dinner. I'll go drink a glass of wine. You have a sparkling water. Let's talk about that. Hey, this was kind of sad. Now let's move on and just kind of acknowledge it, accept it, move on. Sometimes we're like, okay, no worries. Let's go. But sometimes that same thing comes back. Only now we start getting into something that he talked about, which is we see these patterns. So we do the bootstraps and we wallpaper over. We end up having these patterns and we can become the cliche because the patterns repeat themselves. His tip was identify your patterns, find the root causes, and then sit in it. Sit in it is some reasonable time frame where you get to grips with the feelings, the thought, grieve the miss, the loss. And then lastly, he said, get help. He says, no change can happen by yourself. Well, I've found that out. And that's been my mission for the past 26 years is try to help people change. He's like, own your past, change your future. I have a company that's been dedicated for 26 years to helping people change their future. And it's hard work. And I will say this, I have a bunch of phenomenally trained, highly skilled, highly compensated coaches. And their clients love on them. They do. But they don't get the credit they deserve because change is hard. And it's hard work. This is hard work. I recently talked to an executive. So I go, yeah, we just launched our own internal coaching department. I'm like, good luck with that. Good luck with that. That is hard work. And uh, it sounds great. You know, it sounds cool. Everyone wants to be a coach. It's hard work because change is hard. And we need a lot of things to change. We need input. We need to set those goals. We need to have a positive outlook. We need to change sometimes our circumstances. We need help from friends. We need counselors. We need coaches. And then you get to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Then. But pulling yourself up by your bootstraps is actually the original 1800s definition. You can change your socioeconomic environment. You You can advance. You can succeed when you have all that help. But pull yourself up by your bootstraps doesn't happen. We all need help. We all need input. We all need insight. Podcasts, books, intake, association, affirmations, all the things I've said for years. Counselors, coaches, all of it, all of it. And it doesn't make you weak. It doesn't make me weak. I have help in all these areas now. And here's what I can tell you. The older I get, the more help I'm in need of. You would think, oh, now you have more answers more money and more success. No, I need more help today than I ever did. And then the last part that is obviously the most important part of the interview I did with Dr. John was what are you going to do now? So we don't want to just fall into the pathology. We don't want to just abandon ourselves to the newer definition of bootstrap mentality. It's what are you going to do now? You know, when he was talking and when I was thinking about it afterwards, There was only one thing that kept going through my mind. I didn't want to bring it up because it would be a tangent in our conversation, but it's perfect for this. And I think about the movie, The Untouchables. At this stage, I would imagine a lot of people have seen that movie, but it's kind of a reenactment of the true story of the treasury officer, Elliot Ness, the man who ultimately he and his team brought down Al Capone. And, you know, Al Capone, one of the most notorious mafiosos of all time, he killed people, he did all kinds of terrible things, but he went to jail and ended up in Alcatraz for tax evasion. And it was always this ridiculous thing. How does this notorious mafia guy, crime boss, organized crime guy, go to jail for tax evasion? And so Elliot Ness, played by Kevin Costner, assembles this group of untouchables, which at the time, organized crime was organized through the city of Chicago. So politicians, judges, policemen, all kinds of people were on the payroll. And so the untouchables were the folks that couldn't be reached by Al Capone. 
And Sean Connery plays a Scotchman who's playing an Irish cop. And he's kind of like the one honest cop left in Chicago is how they're presenting him. So here's a guy with all these experience who's still walking the beat. Why? Because he wouldn't take the payoffs. So Elliot Ness, this guy kind of becomes his mentor. And Sean Connery, when making the decision to join Elliot Ness's team, he says, what are you prepared to do? What are you prepared to do? And he goes, what do you mean? He goes, well, if he puts one of yours in the hospital, you've got to put one of his in the morgue. And so bottom line is, Sean Connery's character was not going to sign on to this team unless this guy was willing to take it all the way. Well, there's a very emotional scene at the end of the movie where Sean Connery's character is shot multiple times. And he's about to die and he's crawling through the house. And Elliot Ness, Kevin Costner, finds him. And he's breathing his last words, and he's pointing to something. He thinks it's this medal. The patron saint of the lost cause was this medal. And so he thought he wanted that. And he was like, no, because to the very end, this guy was dedicated to actually changing the future. He wanted to change the future of Chicago. And he's pointing to, hey, here's this train schedule. Here's this accountant. And the guy you need to pull down Capone is there. And he hands him this. He gives him the information. And his dying words where he grabs... Kevin Costner, and he goes, what are you prepared to do now? That's great stuff. It was not just a great movie and a great scene, but that's how you change your life. We got to get away from the pathology where we can become a victim. We got to get away from the bootstraps. I got to do it all myself. But what are you prepared to do now? And you'll become untouchable. You'll be able to own your past. You'll know your patterns, find the root causes, you sit in it, and then you go get help. Now you can go do. You own your past. That's the formula to do it. And then here's how you change your future. So I'm going to give you a few things before I leave you today on changing your future. First of all, change your thoughts. If you change your thoughts, you change your actions. That's what John Deloney said. If you change your thoughts, you change your actions. So like I mentioned, read, watch, listen. What are you reading? What are you watching? What are you listening to? Is there room for an upgrade? What are you reading? What are you watching? What are you listening to? It's okay to watch Netflix and, you know, if you want to, binge watch whatever show, whatever. fine, you want to do some entertainment. But is there room? You know, are you just going from one binge watch show to another? Is there room for something to watch that can actually upgrade your thoughts? Because if you change your thoughts, you change your actions. Mindy Calling, who was one of the writers and stars of The Office, said, don't let anyone tell you you can't do something, especially not yourself. The great Earl Nightingale that we featured throughout this podcast that I'm recording from the Earl Nightingale studio right now said, Whatever we plant in our subconscious mind and nourish with repetition and emotion will one day become a reality. And then Napoleon Hill said, whatever your mind can conceive and believe, it can achieve. Change your thoughts, change your actions. The second thing, what are you going to do now? Is what are you striving for? What are you striving for? It's really important to know what you're striving for. And then the second part of this is why are you striving? What are you striving for? What is it? Abraham Lincoln said, I do the very best I know how the very best I can, and I mean to keep on doing it until the end. He knew what he was striving for. It's ironic that just a few days after the war ended that Abraham Lincoln was assassinated. The one blessing in all that is he got to see the end of what he was striving for. You know, what are you striving for? And then the last thing I have for you is why are you striving? It's important to know the why. Everyone know your why. It's become a popular thing and so on and so forth, and your why is like this one singular thing. It's not. It's ever-evolving, ever-changing, and there's big whys and small whys. But why are you striving? For what end? Brie Larson said, one of the biggest qualities is having an awareness outside of yourself and understanding that the world doesn't revolve around your needs. Why are you striving? Why are you striving? 
We have to understand why. And you need to ask yourself why. That's maybe one of your patterns. I've had a, a gal one time in our coaching room, you know, in this a very common situation. Her father told her she'd never amount to anything. So she was a very driven lady who then would make spectacular mistakes. She would build up her resources. She would build up her sales. She would build up her cash. She would build up her assets and then do something stupid with them. And this became a pattern. I'm like, why are you striving? And when I pushed her and pushed her and pushed her, finally, with tears in her eyes, she chokes out because my dad told me I'd never amount to anything. And the truth of the matter is in trying to prove him wrong, she constantly proved him right. And when we started talking about it, we helped her create a new why for why she was striving. So she had to identify the pattern. She had to find the root cause. She got to sit in it a little bit. And then after a little bit of time, we helped her put her bootstraps back on together with a new why of why she was striving. She forgave her dad. She wrote him a letter. He was long gone. She wrote him a letter understanding why he said what he said. And even though she didn't agree with it, she understand why he was saying it. He was trying to motivate her. This was how he knew to communicate it. This is what his father told him. And that she forgave him. And now she was moving on. And uh, she actually was not going to be something someday. She already was. Those are kind of the magical reasons why I'm in the coaching business. So for you, for myself, for all of us, own your past, change your future. Great book. Again, I highly recommend the book. John Deloney, I plan to have him on again. I just think he can really help us all. And as entrepreneurs, we need all the help we can get. So we talked about the pathological stuff. No, maybe you're just sad. Maybe you don't have a condition. Bootstrap mentality. Bootstrap was not impossibility to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We all need help. We can change our situation in life economically, environmentally, relationally. We can change everything, but we need help. And then lastly, what are we all prepared to do now? And uh, just like Elliot Ness brought down the biggest gangster in American history for tax evasion, that seemed like an impossible goal. We can reach some impossible goals when we own our past, change our future. I hope this has been helpful. If you want me to keep doing this, keep letting me know. Send me an email. Make sure you give us a review of our podcast. And uh, remember, if you know someone who needs this kind of help or insight, refer these episodes to them. We always are looking for new folks to bless. I want to leave you today with a little Irish blessing from my mom, Therese. Thanks again to John Deloney and blessings to all of you. Here's Therese Buffini. May the road rise up to meet you and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields and the sun shine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time.